Welcome back to Unexplained Oregon. This is Kim and Christine, and we are so excited to be here. Yay! Yay, Hi, Kim. We're back. Hello. Today we are going to talk about the Rajneeshis. We're really excited about it. We're going to talk about the Netflix show Wild Wild Country. Before we do that, we want to let you know that you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't forget to DM us with your creepy <laughs> stories. We Please. want to hear them. All right. So, Christine, we're going to talk about Wild Wild Country today. Are you ready? I'm so ready for this. I, I, I hope so, you're ready. I'm so glad that you're, um, you're going to share this with me and everyone today because I don't know very much about the Rajneesh. And neither did I. The Rajneesh? Yes. And I didn't know much either about this subject. We had talked about covering it, uh, just throwing it out there. It's a crazy true story of a Rolls Royce driving Indian (laughs) guru that tried to move his alleged sex cult to Oregon. Wow. Yeah. Very crazy. I didn't know much about this subject. Uh, This happened in the 80s. We were young growing up in southern Oregon in the 80s. Uh, I personally felt like I wasn't introduced to much culture myself in southern Oregon. I didn't know uh, much about this story. But again, that's probably because it wasn't a story for young ears. Sure. Okay. And maybe we didn't know about it because there's a lot of facets of this story that you don't want to talk to children about. Okay. And so, uh, I yeah, I was wondering why had I never heard of this or why didn't I know much about it? What I knew about it was this group of people tried to move into Oregon and I had heard that they tried to poison a sizzler salad bar. That's really the extent of what I knew about this story. <laughs> wow, I've never heard about the sizzler salad bar really? poisoning. Yeah. Okay, I'm excited to hear, yeah. hear about this. I, I think you're right. I mean, we were young and maybe, you know, maybe I feel like I knew a little bit about the Rajneesh. I remember kind of the robes maybe or just some some conversation but but nothing about the details never right? saw rajneesh down in no or at know, the airport were yeah. they at the airports uh well what's interesting is i had asked my husband because he grew up in the eugene springfield area if he had ever seen uh, rajneesh and uh he was like Oh yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? Really? He's like the robes. He knew about the red robes. Yeah. And I was kind of shocked about that. I'm like, hmm. So maybe it was just where we grew up. And well, Brian's also a little bit older. He's what, 70? Yeah, he was born in 71. <laughs> he remembers more than me. Okay. He's not 70. Yeah. Okay. So our story is uh, based in Oregon. That's why I find it fascinating. I think at first we threw this subject out there to cover uh, just because it was a cult. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that is interesting to some. What's fascinating to me about this story is the drama it caused in our state. Mm. And as I watched this Netflix show called Wild Wild Country... I was forced to kind of think about what's going on currently in our state and how we are uh, just kind of limbo here and a 
so it does get you thinking. I think it is a, uh, a good start if you don't know anything about this subject. It was a wonderful start for me. It's a six-part story on Netflix. Each episode is about an hour long. Okay. It's shot beautifully. It has mm-hmm. wonderful aerial shots of Oregon. Uh, it shows you really the beauty of our state. And it really gives you an in-depth look of the story from all sides. Okay. So it takes some main key players in this story on the Rajneesh side. And then it also goes in and interviews people uh, from the town of Antelope, Oregon, where this happened. And it also interviews some people uh, from the government side. There's, you know, an extensive interview with Bob Weaver, the former assistant U.S. attorney. And so I felt like I got a good side of all of all involved all the players. after watching this all the players exactly okay so well, i'm a i know i remember when my um my daughter and her boyfriend watched it and they were trying to get me to watch and i just thought i tried an episode and i mm-hmm. i remember who the key players are but i'm excited to to hear what really happened yeah because i don't think you know like the extent of what happened i certainly didn't okay so our story starts with uh, Rajneesh, Bhagwan Shri Rajneesh. In our story, we're going to refer to him as Bhagwan. Okay. He is also referred to as Osho in the show. He ends up changing his name to Osho, which means teacher and is derived uh, from Japanese, the Japanese language. So he's described as an Indian god-man He's the mystic founder of the Rajneesh movement. He was born on December 11th, 1931. Just a little bit of history before we talk about him and delve into our story. He was the eldest of 12 of 11 children. He was an educated man. In 1951, at the age of 19, he began his studies in India at a university. It's reported that he had to transfer universities because of some issues with a professor. At what at one point he was an actual assistant editor of a newspaper. Uh, so he was a well-educated individual. Okay. Our story starts kind of in 1970 at a Mumbai meditation event. And Bhagwan introduces this uh, kind of new age way of thinking and it's based around peace and love and meditation Mm. uh, right and so really hadn't been introduced to the public and he puts it out there and he starts to gain some following Mm-hmm. with this new new way of thinking let's meditate it's surrounded around peace inner peace uh and he gains a following and you have to remember this is at a time in our nation in our nation where uh we were in vietnam vietnam ran from 1955 to 1975 19 wow. years and there was a for to rebel against the government for some right mm-hmm. and so he kind of tapped into meditating and 
and instead of following, you know, what's being told to you, let's meditate and find your own inner peace. By the early 70s, he had a pretty big following in Pune, India and had a commune going. This is a place where you would go and everybody wore the same colored robe. You would drink tea. You would find inner peace. Bhagwan was described as being very peaceful and powerful. And he would have these talks. At this point, he was a published author. And he would have these talks where he was said to have channeled his energy into you. Wow. So this peaceful, and really when you see pictures of the Bhagwan, and we're going to go ahead and post one on our Instagram page, and you see pictures of him, mm-hmm. it's a, it is a very peaceful, his eyes are, you know, he has those sunken in eyes, it's a beautiful, he's very peaceful and smiling, and, and you can tell the people get drawn into this, mm-hmm. and he gains this following. And really his philosophy is let's find the awakened man. Uh, what we want, what we should all strive to do is to be a new man, one that will live in harmony and nature, in nature and live in all nations regardless of your religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should all live together and we should only have respect for one, of the, one another. Well, that sounds pretty appealing. It sounds is. appealing it's now. I can very see that. ideal. Yeah. By, uh, you know, a wonderful, a wonderful philosophy, really. So uh, he gains this following, and really how he does this is through this meditation, right? Meditation is how he gains this following. And through this, he starts to introduce what's called the human potential movement. Okay. Okay. And we're going to talk about this therapy that the Bhagwan develops okay. in Pune, India. <laughs> and there's three... HPM, yes. Human HPM. Potential, Potential Movement. Let's go. Uh, there's three stages of this therapy. And stage one is you go in and you let it out. You scream and you, you get your aggression out. And every angry feeling you're feeling, you're going to friggin' scream it out. Which, you know, that that does sound very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. I've screamed into a pillow at yeah. times. And it does great things, right? Uh, and then stage two of this therapy, they start after you've screamed and let it out, you start to jump and dance. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, go so with So you dance it out. <laughs> you dance it out. And, and usually at this point, you're going to shed your robe. All right? Oh, okay. 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 So you're going to jump and dance. And you don't need your robe on to do this. So you're going to shed it. And you're going to really put your hands in the air and get it out and dance, you know. Okay. And, and be one with everyone around you. It without clothes on okay so kind of like Grey's Anatomy dance it out <laughs> scene but without clothes little so different. a little different <laughs> little different in this case and then stage three is where uh, they would go into a silent meditative state okay. and they would this is usually where they would sit in that traditional namaste pose with your hands together and be silent and meditate with okay. the Bhagwan. Uh, and really, you know, think about the ho- human potential movement. 
So around the, we're going to talk about this woman, Ma Anad Sheila, and she is a key player in this Netflix show. We're going to talk about her a lot during this story. Uh, Just a little history on her. She was born in India. At 18, she moved to the United States to come to the University Montclair St. College in 1967. Around 1972, she became a disciple of the Bhagwan. She had met someone in the United States and got married. And she's actually on this Netflix show. She's a key player in this whole story. And uh, I think it's awesome that they have her now, today, on on the interview. Uh, It's really good to watch. So we're going to talk about Sheila around this time, early 80s. She is at the commune, and she basically becomes Bhagwan's right-hand person. Like, she becomes the person that's running the compound. She's seen as one of the leaders of the compound when people come in. She's running it like a business, and she she sees she sees the potential here, mm-hmm. and she's bringing in the followers. They appoint their they call their people in the compound sannyasins, and the sannyasins are the doers. They're the people. They're the believers, right? Okay. And so they have their sannyasins, and they gain a huge following, and around. Uh, this time the Bhagwan goes silent. So he's at the commune. He's having all these, you know, seminars or whatever, what have you, meditation events. And then he goes silent. The Netflix show introduces you to Philip Tolks. He's an American lawyer. Throughout the story, I'm just going to call him the lawyer. Okay. He ends up being a huge key player in our story. He ends up being the mayor uh, for these people. But um, he ends up at the commune around this time. And he was a pretty successful attorney in the United States. Actually represented some famous people, Linda Ronstadt being one of them. And he describes this time in his life where he went on a trip to India with a friend and he becomes enlightened. Mm. And he's introduced to the Bhagwan and this way of thinking He comes back to the United States, quits his job, and moves over to Pune, India, to the commune. When he gets there, that's when the Bhagwan goes silent. Okay. So So this is all happening still in India. Yes. Okay. And he's pretty confused. He's just like, wow, you know, I'm finally here. And he goes silent. And But he sticks with it. He stays there. And uh, throughout the show, he's interviewed. And uh, he's a pretty knowledgeable man. You know, it's interesting how he gets, I don't want to say sucked in, but, you know, introduced to this way of thinking and he stays with it. Mm -hmm. So around this time, it's said that the prime minister of India, which was Indira Gandhi, she was the first and to date only female prime minister in India. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was said that Mrs. Gandhi was threatened by the Bhagwan's power. And uh, it was said that there was going to be some tax issues going on because of the money they were bringing in and she was going to go after him. 
So there was a little bit of tension going on between the prime minister and the Bogwan mm-hmm. in the early 80s. So Sheila, his right-hand persons, convinces him that they need to move to the United States. Okay. You know, she had been here at her university when she came over here for her studies. She really felt like the United States was their promised land. It was the place where they could come and develop and gain more following. And they could really develop what they wanted. And what they wanted was to develop the city of Rajneesh. That was their whole goal. Okay. And and they wanted to do that in the United States. Okay. And they felt like it was their given right to take this philosophy, these followers, and create their own city. It was Mm -hmm. their right to do this. It's Mm -hmm. anyone's right to do this, is what they're saying. So that brings us to Wasco County, Oregon. We're going to take you to the little town of Antelope, Oregon, which is central Oregon, north central Oregon. And the Rajneeshis buy the Muddy Ranch. It's called the Muddy Ranch. In 1981, they purchased a 64,000-acre ranch outside the little town of Antelope for $5.75 million dollars. And they start busing their followers in, right? Okay. So they've purchased this ranch. They start busing the people in. And around this time, they also purchased a hotel in Portland, uh, which is still standing to this day. It's a historic building in Portland called the Campbell Court Hotel. So they had purchased this. They purchased the ranch. They start busing people in. The little town of... Uh, people of Antelope, needless to say, are not happy. Mm-hmm. They're wondering, who are you, right? <laughs> Go away. <laughs> sure. What are you doing here? I think it's safe to say that there probably isn't that many Indian people residing in Antelope, Oregon at this time, right? Right. I, I think you're probably right. Yeah. So they... They're wondering, who are you? It's on the media a lot, actually. And and there's just this sense of, we don't know who they are. You know, what are they doing here? There was a lot of wonderment throughout the state. Okay. Uh, The Rajneeshi start building up this ranch. I'm going to refer to it as the ranch. They, They call it the Rajneesh Puram. And they build up this ranch and they start putting a-frame houses on it they have a pizza parlor a medical center they start building this whole ranch out gardens they build a huge recreation center wow on the ranch uh and they all are wearing the same colored robe red red robe uh, and so, needless to say, the people of Antelope, Oregon, are very confused. Mm-hmm. So, there's this, on the media around this time, there's, someone goes into the ranch with a hidden camera. Okay. <laughs> and because up until this point, you know, these people don't know really what's going on. There's a big question in Oregon, okay, these sure, people are coming we don't in, have, who are you know, they? There's yeah, no internet. Exactly. You can't get on the internet and try to Google or figure out, exactly. you know, philosophies and <laughs> right. teachings of the Rajneesh 
So that makes sense. Let's yeah. send somebody with a hidden camera in. I somehow they get it in and the videos on this Netflix show. <laughs> I just want to warn you, don't watch it with young children in the room. Oh boy. It goes along with our creepy theme of our podcast. <laughs> it's very graphic. They're naked. Um, it's definitely stage two of the therapy. Okay. So <laughs> they're dancing together and being naked. There, there could be some simulated sex on camera going on or real sex. I mean, it's just watch it. Okay. It's okay. So you like, want wow. us to watch it? I want you to watch it. Why? I okay. want you to see if you thought it was creepy as I did. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Watch it. Stage two of the therapy. Yeah. Okay. 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 And it further perpetuates this fear in these people. Like, they had never seen this before, you know? And these are people that had lived, ranchers and farmers that had lived in this area their whole life, you know? And and they're like, okay. So, especially if they're getting uh, the video of stage two of the therapy and maybe not stage one or three (laughs) of the human potential movement, they're just getting stage two of the movement, which sounds very interesting. And I could see where it might be a little bit like shocking. Alarming. Yeah. Yeah. If you had never seen it. If you're a white rancher from Antelope, Oregon. Sure. Yeah. So within three years of coming, they actually develop this community and this, uh, this ranch into a pretty big following of 7,000 and yeah, they have, you know, a fire department, they have an airport where they've actually built an airport strip where they can fly in, you know, people. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's huge, huge opposition going on with the people in Antelope and this is where Bill Bowerman steps in. He's a famous Oregonian in our state. I don't know if you've heard about him. He was the son of the governor, Jay Bowerman, and Bill Bowerman was born in Portland. He actually attended school down in Medford, uh, Medford High, and then went from there to the U of O. He was in the military after being in the military, he moved back to Eugene and he became the head track coach of the University of Oregon. And this is where he gained his uh, name in our state. He led us to many NCAA victories and he actually ended up becoming the U.S. Olympic track coach. So what Bill Bowerman is actually famous for, though, is he invented from a waffle iron, he invented the uh, bottom traction for the Nike shoe and became a co-founder of Nike. And I'm sure everybody knows who Nike is. Huge. So uh, Bill Bowerman's name was kind of put on the map for inventing the waffle design on the bottom of a Nike shoe. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm actually looking, you told me about this yesterday and I had never heard of any of this. Of course, I know what Nike is. Yes. But 
And Nike is a huge part of our economy huge. here in Oregon and our history. And this history, actual but... waffle shoe sparked a huge uh, spark in exercising in our country. Everybody oh, wow. wanted to wear these shoes and exercise. Okay, well, I'm looking at a picture of Bill Bowerman right now, which we'll post on our Instagram. It has okay. him holding the shoe, and it really mm-hmm. looks like a waffle iron He actually design. took... He made it from a waffle iron and ended up gluing it to the bottom of the shoe. And then, reali- you know, everyone realized, oh, it it will help our running, you know, and kind yeah, of put, that it, makes put sense. Mikey on the map. I w- it makes me want to have a waffle, but I don't know about <laughs> know. anyone else. I really want a waffle now. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to pull out my waffle Mikey. iron after this. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I do have a waffle iron somewhere. I, need to pull I have out. one I shoved out back in the cupboard somewhere. I'm pulling it out to celebrate today. <laughs> so actually, Bill Bowerman was the U.S. Olympic head track coach in 1972 in Munich, Germany. And that is where craziness happened. I don't know if you remember. Eight Palestinian terrorists invaded the members of the Israeli team. They actually killed two people and held nine people hostage at the Olympics that year. I remember hearing about that. It was huge. And uh, it was said that after seeing this drama, Bill was ready to retire. He was ready to, you know, probably settle down and... Mm-hmm. I bet. Christine, guess where Bill wanted to retire to? Hmm. I don't know. Antelope, Oregon? You got it. Oh, man. And how disappointing he felt when he went there and the town was invaded by red robes. Like, uh, he, he was pretty disappointed about it. It was said that he... He was pretty upset about it, and he actually hired an attorney and led the first movement against the Rajneeshis. Okay. okay. And he did that along with an organization called 1,000 Friends. Mm-hmm. 1,000 Friends is still in existence to today. It works with Oregonians to enhance the quality of life by building livable urban and rural communities. And they had some backing there. They helped build... Uh, file this lawsuit against the people and I don't know you know what Bill Bowerman's issue was with the Rajneeshis but maybe this was just the loophole that he found to get them out but what he ends up doing is filing a lawsuit representing the land against them And so his issue was, his claim was, that why should they be allowed to come into our state and develop their land without obtaining building permits? Uh, They're harming the land. You know, this is a ranching community, and they've, they've built this huge recreational center on it, an airport on it. They're pissed. And on the Rajneesh side... They say, we've built a beautiful, sustainable place. We have gardens that we're living off of. You know, we're not hurting anybody here. And we've built this and we are living and we're maintaining our peaceful place for our people. And it, and we've done good here. So leave us alone. You know, okay. That's where they were at. Well, what do you think about that, Kim? 
They kind of had their little utopian society going, self-sustaining. I don't know what I, I, I think, sure, I think everyone has the right, but being a homeowner, I know I pay property taxes and have had to file, you know, permits with the city when I want to build on my land and stuff. So I could see where, you know, you'd be in an uproar about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I... At this point in the story, I'm kind of torn, okay? These people aren't hurting anyone. And to this point, their whole attitude is, hey, this is who we are. And if, you know, this this is who we are and we're not hurting anyone. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of where our story turns. Uh They start to buy the little town of Antelope up. And they were able to do that because it was for sale. At this point, people were leaving Antelope. They wanted out. Okay. And so there was a lot of housing for sale, a lot of buildings, and the Raj uh, Nishis were able to go in and buy up the town. And they actually end up buying the little cafe that had been there where these 40 residents would drink their coffee every morning. They buy it and rename it Zorda the Buddha. I mean, okay. <laughs> okay. Didn't go over well. Yeah. Yeah. Did not go over well. They start kind of taking over the town. And what happens is the people of Antelope start to bear arms. And yeah, and they start to actually go out near the ranch and fire their arms into the air, hoping that a bullet would hit someone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's starting to cause major issues in our state, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, Rajneeshis kind of turn on the townspeople, and they start videotaping people. When people walk outside their door, they're taking pictures of them. They start to stalk different people. So they are kind of coming back now. Whereas before they were like, hey, hello, peace and love. This is who we are. Mm -hmm. Now they're coming back and they're like, okay, you're going to do that. Then we're going to torment you and we're going to follow you and we're going to take pictures of you and we're going to videotape you every time you walk outside your house. Wow. Okay. So it does spark this, you know, war between the residents of Antelope and them. And what happens is the and this is one of the first times in history that this has happened. The people file to dissolve the town, and there's a lot of media coverage around this. A lot of media comes into the town. They have a slogan, and it's actually better off dead than red. Oh, my gosh. They want nothing to do with them. And actually put it out there in the media. They're like, it's us now, but it's going to be all of Oregon later. So everybody in Oregon better watch out. Really, they were paranoid that these people were taking over Antelope. But, you know, it was thrown out there. Hey, they could they could take over our whole state if we don't watch it. So it does perpetuate this paranoia Mm -hmm. out there in the media. Which is interesting. 
So after the town was dissolved, the Rajneeshis were able to rename that city, the city of Rajneesh. They actually have a mayor, and the mayor, his name is KD, and he's throughout the Netflix show, and he's kind of a shady character. You just <laughs> watch it and develop your own opinion, but... Um, he's out there on the media with Sheila as well, a lot, kind of defending what's going on. And they, they're very arrogant and they start to tear down street signs in this town and rename all the streets. Like they're, they're completely taking over at this point. So it was around this time that the hotel in Portland was bombed. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Very scary. They don't know much about that, just that a man checked in with two bags. He went upstairs, and 20 minutes later, two bombs went off. Wow. Yeah. So 60 Rajneeshis that were there at the time watched watched their hotel burn, and they kind of, they released a statement to the media that they were ready to, ready to defend. And at... Um, it kind of sparks, you know, I'll say it again, a war, and they become armed. And up until this point, the Rajneeshis have said, you know, we're peace and love. Mm-hmm. So they start to buy guns and become armed and release on the media. And it's Sheila on there, and she's saying they're not going to turn another cheek, right? Mm-hmm. And... They start to release actual video of them doing target practice on the ranch with semi-automatic rifles. So they put this out there. In the show, they talk to a woman that's on the ranch. Her name is Jane Stork, and she actually has a book now about her experience. And she, we're going to talk about her a lot in our story. She talks about being shooting and doing this target practice and Sheila looking at her and saying, you're our shooter. You're a good shot. Yeah. And Jane is kind of conflicted at this time, but she goes along with it. You know, it's like she's sucked into this already and it feels like a lot of the sannyasins, almost everyone there is kind of sucked in now to defending the ranch, defending their city of Rajneesh. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I, Oregonians then realize that this isn't just some happy robe-wearing cult. This, you know, these people are bearing arms at this point. They've come back and said that they'll fight back. And really the feel out there in the media is organs in danger. Mm. And it, how scary, mm-hmm. you know. So the city council of Antelope are freaking out at this point. The Rajneeshis were able to appoint three people to the city council from the ranch. And that left only one person from the town of Antelope. And he's he's just an adorable gentleman. He's on this show. And he talks about his experience being the only city councilman and says, you know, at that point, I I wasn't making waves. I was just sitting back listening, you know, I mean, is all he could really do. Once they were able to infiltrate the city council, they developed what's called a peace force, which would have been their police force. Oh, right? gotcha. 
Yeah. That's that's uh, snazzy. And they used this peace force. They would shine their spotlights into people's homes at night and kind of taunt the people of Antelope. They also incorporated some nude parks in the city. Oh, boy. Which probably, you know, I'm safe to say weren't there before. And the people of Antelope were still very scared. And really, in the media, they were talking a lot about how open these people's sexuality are. I mean, they they openly doing things in these nude parks that, you know, should be done behind closed doors. And they were scared. Mm-hmm. So this sparks a huge gun sale in Oregon. People start buying guns in the surrounding areas of this town in Oregon. They're scared. And again, Sheila's on the media and she's saying in a very innocent voice, I don't know how to explain it, a very innocent, arrogant voice. I, you're just going to have to watch her. Okay. Um, she's very compelling when she's on there, and and she's saying we only want to develop our city, right? So just let us do this. So she kind of confident, very confident, okay. very confident in what they believe in and what they want to do, and also downright, hey, if if you stop us, then you know we have we have no other recourse than to fight back. If you try Mm -hmm. to stop us, is kind of she goes on a full out media tour, you know, with this attitude, Mm -hmm. right? And so, I mean, she's on Donahue, Crossfire, she's on every major news station. This was a huge story, you know. Oh yeah. And she's on there, and she's almost bragging about his seventeen Rolls Royces and who the Bogwan is. So what this does is this brings in a lot of negative publicity towards the movement, towards Oregon. Uh, There's a lot of media coverage out there, but through this publicity, they were able to gain more followers, which is Mm -hmm. crazy. Wow. And it's said that they, at this point, had 30,000 sannyasins. Wow. Throughout the world, 500,000 followers, right? They They were gaining followers. And they start hosting these world events at the ranch, what they mm-hmm. called a world event. And they're bringing in people from India, Australia, Italy, Germany, Amsterdam, Switzerland, Portugal. Mm-hmm. People are coming in to Oregon to come to these world events to, I guess, uh, scream, dance, and be silent, right? And, okay. and experience what's going on here. HPM. <laughs> exactly. And through these world events, they were able to sustain. They were making enough money and bringing enough followers in to sustain their movement here. And they they continued with, I would call it an up yours attitude towards mm-hmm. the haters. Hate us if you want. We're just going to continue to do it. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this continued. And that one city councilman comes back into our story. He ends up snooping around the compound and he finds this dumpster. (laughs) Okay. It's so random. And he actually 
describes, you know, going in very secretively into this dumpster just to see. And actually, he first sees this poster in there of the Bogwan, and he's like, oh, you know, I'll save that. And so he goes in to get that, and he ends up finding these mating minutes. And through that, he exposes the corruption going on on the ranch. Wow. Yeah. We're going to end our story today right here. And when we pick this up again, we're going to talk about what happens because this is kind of a turning point in our story because then we realize, hey, there's actual corruption going on on the ranch. Mm -hmm. Are they really peace loving people that are just interested in building a city? Not sure about that. Right. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned to our next episode. Thank you for listening so far. I hope you are ready to hear more drama and craziness because there's a lot more to come. I okay. Think we've only covered the tip of it. Okay. Awesome. Right. I can't okay. wait.